flying in the face of fear, an interview with Kim Campbell. In this interview, Kim Campbell talks about her experience as a fighter pilot and combat veteran and how those experiences have helped her to become an effective leader. She also discusses some of the principles that have guided her through difficult times and offers advice for anyone who is looking to overcome their fears and lead effectively. I am so thrilled and honored to have this guest with us today. So you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Let me tell you just a little bit about our incredible guest. Kim Campbell is a retired Air Force Colonel who served in the Air Force over 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. She has flown 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, big deal including more than 100 combat missions, protecting troops on the ground in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross of Heroism after successfully recovering her battle-damaged airplane after an intense close-up air support mission in Baghdad. As a senior military leader, Kim has led hundreds of airmen, both at home and abroad, in developed, deployed, excuse me, deployed locations and enabled them to succeed in their missions. She has experience leading complex organizations and driving cultural change. Kim knows what it takes to be a successful leader, to inspire and empower high-performance teams to achieve success. She is passionate about leadership and feels strongly that leaders earn trust by leading with courage and connecting with their team. Please help me welcome Ms. Kim Casey Campbell. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, truly my pleasure. 
And I just want to say it, it is with utmost respect, you are an American hero. And I don't say that lightly. We are so honored to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you. I don't, <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, I mean, I don't use that term to describe myself um, because I feel like so much what I have done is just my job of supporting troops on the ground and helping them get home safely to their families. That's what all A-10 pilots do. Yes. And, and you know, it takes it takes that kind of person to be in that position. So thank you. Let's start out by giving the audience a little bit about who you are. Let's share some background about you. Yeah. So I just retired from the Air Force about a year and a half ago. I spent 24 years um, in the Air Force. I started out my career at the Air Force Academy. And uh, I think initially I just wanted to be a fighter pilot. I just wanted to fly I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be exciting. I had ultimate goals of someday going on to become an astronaut. But over time, I realized how passionate I was about this idea of service. And after flying the A-10, I realized how passionate I was about supporting our troops on the ground. Uh, so I stayed a lot longer than I thought I would. Uh, 24 years was way more than I ever thought uh, <laughs> that I would stay in. But I had some incredible opportunities, not just in flying, but also leading teams. Um, one of my favorite assignments was as a group commander responsible for airmen in South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. These are military and civilian personnel. Really a great opportunity to lead and influence. And then my career closed out uh, back at the Air Force Academy, back where I started. And it was a great opportunity to give back a little bit and really try to influence and make a difference in the next generation of leaders. Uh, I taught for two years there and then finished out as the director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And now I'm happily retired um, and uh, just put out a book, which is very exciting, called Flying in the Face of Fear. I do some keynote speaking, executive coaching, and I have two boys who are 10 and 14 who absolutely keep me busy uh, all the time and really focused on what's most important. So I have, speaking of, of your book, I do have a photo album and we'll just go ahead and jump right in. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about these, these photos that we have here. Here is that book that you talked about that you wrote and what an amazing cover, by the way. I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the, the pictures on this cover yeah, that, that's the A A10, correct? It is. It's the A10. Yes. And I, I'm laughing a little bit because that picture that's of me is no kidding from a disposable camera. Um, because at the time we didn't really digital camera cameras were like just coming out, and so we all brought these disposable cameras that we would then take and get developed once we got home. And that is where that picture of me is from. <laughs> is someone snapped the picture for me in Iraq, and you know, it was a, it was in my photo album, a little bit grainy, a little bit washed out. And I had to take it downtown Colorado Springs to have it uh, at least made a higher quality so it could go on the cover of the book. Um, but the picture of the A-10 um, to me is a, I mean, it's a stunning image of um, yeah. the A-10. It's uh, a picture from Iraq um, of an A-10. Um, and I, and I love that the ground troop is still out there working on the airplane, uh, which is pretty standard where the pilots are done. They walk in for the day and our ground troops are still getting the work done. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You're always, 
always making sure they are maintained and they're safe. Uh, you know, they go through incredible, you know, feats. They're pushed pretty hard. And so I can only imagine that is a stunning photo. So uh, let's, I'll, I'll take this out for now and we'll go back into the pictures a little later, but let's talk a little bit about, I know you said that, you, you know, you first thought about flying and being this, having this dream of a pilot, um, it stemmed a little bit deeper when you watched the, uh, I'm not going to say it right, NASA, a, a flight, correct? When you were younger? Yeah. Tell so us this, about, yeah. yeah. This was back in 1986. Um, this was the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Um, and there was something about that launch, something that just, you know, it was exciting. It was exhilarating. And then we watched a tragedy play out as the Challenger exploded on liftoff. Um, and I think, you know, in that moment, I I was devastated. And I was 10 years old in fifth grade, and I was devastated. I, I was, it was like I had known the astronauts personally, and I didn't. But I just was so devastated watching it and talking to my mom, who was there with me, who was an oncology nurse. And she you know, we were talking through it and she said, you know, Kim, sometimes there are things in life that are worth risking your life for. And I realized that these astronauts died doing something that they believed in, something that they were willing to give their lives for, something that was bigger and more important than themselves. And, you know, over the course of some um, days um, talking to my parents, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be an astronaut. And my dad, uh, he was an Air Force Academy grad as well. And he said, if you want to be an astronaut, a lot of them are pilots. And one of the best ways to become a pilot is to go to the Air Force Academy. But this was fifth grade. I don't know that my dad actually thought that I would stay committed to it. <laughs> I think having his little girl go off to the Air Force Academy was a little tougher than he realized um, and I'm not sure he knew that I was going to stick with it, but, um, I did. I mean, I just set this goal and it was like, I, it was like a, a switch flipped for me. Like I just, I was so committed to now this path, this mission, this goal of mine that I would, I worked really hard to achieve it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is rare. I mean, your parents, I'm sure did not think that you would follow through with that, but I think that experience absolutely is where your servitude stemmed from that's where it started and uh, because you know in your mom saying to you you know sometimes you do things that are worth dying for i mean yeah. that's such an incredible powerful statement and and i would think it's very fair to say the people who do go in the line of fire and in danger and and put their life on the line that's exactly what it is you just feel like you're doing your job and that that the why is bigger than yourself. Yeah. The reason is bigger. The the servitude of it, the, you know, the protecting of others, you know, because there's more involved than just you. Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, I think, you know, there's this commitment to service and there's commitment to the mission, but there's also commitment to my brothers and sisters that I served with and the camaraderie that we feel, the sense of commitment to each other that you know, we're willing to die for each other. We are, you know, we, we work together, we push each other, we make sure that we are going to excel in those environments. And we push each other to achieve that high level of performance. But when it comes down to it, it's so nice to know that those other pilots out there, the ground troops, you name it, there's so many people out there that I knew always had my back. 
It certainly makes a difference. <laughs> I would say, you know, when you feel like you have somebody right there with you that you've trained with that you know has your back that yeah. will be there right alongside you and they're doing the same thing as you, um, you know, especially when I, I would say when you're facing death and, and there is the unknowing of what's going to happen, it's like, you know, this is this is what we're all here doing. Yeah, I. Um... I think having been in a scenario where I wasn't sure I was going to survive, having a wingman, having somebody by my side that I knew was there and who had the bigger picture, who had the situational awareness that I didn't, that was going to, you know, was not going to leave me. You know, he was going to be my wingman. He was going to follow this through all the way to the end. I think knowing that and having that in my life at that time was really important and really critical because it showed me how important it was to have a wingman by your side when you go through difficulties in life. And I really have carried that forward to the rest of my life of just having a team, having people that will support you, that will encourage you, that will have your back, but also challenge you and push you and know when you're not performing at your best. I think it's so critical that we find that sense of belonging, that sense of camaraderie, that sense of mutual support. So that's a really big uh, statement there. You know, you're talking about community. You're talking about surrounding yourself with people who, like you said, they not only have your back all the way through, but they're going to tell you and they're going to push you when when you need to be. You know, they're going to be honest with you. Yeah. They're going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just about the, and I, I think about this in leadership too, in terms of you want the people on your team that are going to support you and encourage you, but you also want the people on your team that are going to walk in and be able to shut the door and have that honest conversation and hold you accountable and tell you when things maybe aren't going as well as expected. Uh, so I think that that idea of having a wingman, having somebody that provides that support network, I mean, I look at my husband and my personal life, you know, and the, the struggles that we have gone through as a couple both being active duty military. And, you know, he was my wingman, right? We've had this partnership going through it together and the ups and downs and the fact that I could rely on him was, was huge. I mean, he understood what I was going through. He was there to provide support. He was there to have my back, but he was also there to let me know, um, you know, maybe if I wasn't, um, if there wasn't something that was maybe connecting in the right way with either my team, my kids, um, you know, it, it's, I think it extends beyond just our professional life and it extends into our personal life as well. Absolutely. It, it absolutely does. That's why I wanted to really highlight on it a little bit more because, you know, again, surrounding yourself around the right people that are, that are going to be there for you and support you and be so honest with you. Can, do you have any examples of a time when, when you had an experience with that person that's very close to you was, was brutally honest with you and you just, you had to take it as a learning experience? Yeah, I've had a, a few of those opportunities. I think um, I think back really very early in my career um, as well. And I um, this was in my initial pilot training days. Um, and I, you know, I'm still learning to fly, but we're also being evaluated and we fly missions where we get graded and how we do really impacts our overall performance. And this was my final ride, my final ride in the program. I had done fairly well up to this point. 
And on this ride, um, it was a formation ride, meaning we fly tight formation next to each other. There are certain features on the airplane that we're looking at to stay in that really tight position. And on the ride, my visor on my helmet started fogging up, probably because I was nervous and breathing so hard. Um, but my visor started fogging up and it got to the point where like, I couldn't see very well. And um, I got nervous and wasn't flying very well. And finally, I was just like, okay, I need to tell my instructor, my evaluator in the back seat. And, you know, he's like, very calm. He's like, no big deal. He's like, I got the airplane. He moves away, tells me to clean the visor. And then, you know, I do the best I can. And then to move back in. And I moved back in. And instead of thinking about what I was doing right in the moment, I was thinking about how poorly I had flown in the past, you know, couple minutes or several minutes. And I was really kind of beating myself up and not focusing on what I was doing. And I just continued to make errors. It was like this snowball effect of just these errors that kept getting worse. It turned out it was like the worst ride I had ever flown, the worst I had performed. And, you know, it was my fault. I just let it get out of control. Um, in the debrief, I remember the instructor and he just looked me right in the eyes and he was like, Kim, you are a good pilot, but that was a terrible ride and you have to learn to let it go. He said, you are going to make mistakes. You have to learn to let it go. You cannot be thinking about the past 30 seconds. You need to be thinking about the next 30 seconds. Kind of hard to hear. I knew I hadn't performed well. It's still hard when somebody is like, that was terrible. Um, but I honestly am so thankful it happened so early in my career, so early in my flying experience, because that lesson has stayed with me throughout my career, not just as a pilot, but also as a person, as a leader, as a parent, because we do make mistakes. And sometimes we just beat ourselves up and we continue to do it over and over again. Um, and the truth is we need to learn from them and then we don't do it again. Um, but then we move on. That is such a powerful lesson. And I don't even need to repeat you. <laughs> like you have just explained everything so beautifully, you know, and how that affects us so greatly and how people, when they, when they are faced with life and death situations or they're in training and they're being scored and graded, you know, and, and every little second and every second thought matters and it makes a big difference and how easy it is for us just on a human level, you know, like with your experience to slip back into the past and slip, you know, into those negative thinkings and worry and, and how that greatly affects, you know, the next second in front of us, you know, and, and what's right in front of us. And so, um, I agree with you. I have been faced with a few lessons that, you know, were, were awful, but I learned them and I never did it again because, you know, you, you learn it and you get it. And what a great lesson. I agree with you how fortunate you were to have learned that early on. I think that's a lesson that so many people struggle with for most of their lives. That's one of the hardest yeah. lessons is to let things go. And I still have to remind myself, right? Like I can still feel myself occasionally. I like beat myself up and even my husband will occasionally be like, let it go, <laughs> you know, a little <laughs> reminder, um, because it, we are hard on ourselves and we do, we're kind of our own worst critics sometimes. And the truth is we just need to let it go. I mean, learn from it, learn the lessons, figure out what you're going to do differently the next time, but then let it go. And, you know, it, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, when I, I think about advice, when I think about 
what I would tell my younger self. I, I almost wish I would have even earlier, right. In, in middle school and high school, I see it with my kids now of, you know, they're, they're worried about doing something. They're afraid of going to do something because they're worried that they're going to mess up or they're Mm going to fail. And it's just this constant reminder of like, Hey, yes, you might, but we're going to learn from it. We're going to do it differently the next time. And then we're going to move on. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that very human side (laughs) of yourself. I think that, you know, even I was doing it before the show, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in your presence, like American war hero. And, you know, it's so easy to put people on a pedestal and, but, but none of us get away from, from being human and really experiencing the same issues, the same thought patterns that we all have to strive to you know, you know, be better about and to remind ourselves that's constant. So thank you again for sharing that. We're going to move into our first commercial and what we, when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about any adversities you may have faced early on in your career when we come back. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Hi, I'm April Hove, the Managing Director of the Fort Worth, Texas chapter of eWomen Network. I'm so excited that you stopped to watch this video. I've got good news for you. You have just discovered an international network of women entrepreneurs who are committed to helping you achieve, succeed, and prosper. We are on a mission to help 1 million women entrepreneurs each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. Here at eWomen Network, we have a complete success system that supports you every step of the way in building and growing your business. You being here right now is no accident. We're supposed to know about you. We want to meet you to find out how we can help you as well as learn about what you have to offer. With over 500,000 women connecting through 118 chapters across the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK, you are never alone. If this is resonating with you, please go to eWomenNetwork.com slash Fort Worth. Notice too, my contact information. I invite you to reach out to me and check out our upcoming in-person and online events. I am really looking forward to introducing you to our community. So welcome back. And when we start talking about your early career going into um, to the military and your dad, you said even was like, oh, I don't know if I want my daughter, you know, doing something like that. And 
all of the thoughts that, you know, people think and what you face as a, a woman going into a male dominant field, what was that like for you early on? And how did you alleviate some of that? Well, thanks to my dad. Uh, once he realized that I was actually committed to going to the Air Force Academy, uh, he really opened me up to his world of, he wanted to make sure that I was ready. He wanted to make sure that I was prepared. Um, so much so that we ran the hills in San Jose, California in our combat <laughs> boots together. Uh, he installed a pull-up bar in the bathroom so I could do pull-ups every time I went in or out of the bathroom. I mean, he was just very committed to making sure that I was physically prepared to go to the Air Force Academy. And I think that's what I realized as I showed up to the Academy and I could really do, I could, I never fell out of a run. I could stay um, engaged in all of the athletic activities. I mean, that was a huge thing because I proved that I was credible and capable. But I learned that that was really, that was the key piece was that Yes, I may have been in this male-dominated environment, but really the guys just cared that I was credible and capable. Mm -hmm. I took that with me, that mindset with me going into my first fighter squadron on day one when I knew I was going to be the only female fighter pilot and I knew I was going to be judged. I think at the time there were roughly maybe 35 female fighter pilots in the Air Force at the time out of about 3,500. Um, so it was definitely a very male-dominated environment. But I walked in there knowing that I needed to prove myself, that I wanted to prove myself credible and capable in the airplane. So I worked really hard. Um, I tried to maintain a good attitude through it all. And what I realized was that the guys in my squadron really didn't care about the difference. They just cared that I was credible in the airplane. And I was able to prove myself, prove that I was credible and capable. Um, and that made all the difference for me. I, these guys were my brothers. Um, we had a lot of fun together. They had my back. They always watched out for me, but credibility more than anything, uh, was absolutely critical in those environments. Do you feel like you had to push yourself a little bit harder in order to, to gain that credibility? Well, yes. I mean, I, I will tell you that I walked in there also with a it was almost like a weight on my shoulders. I felt like if I made a mistake or if I failed, that I would ruin it for the women that followed me. And nobody else said that to me. That was what the pressure that I put on myself. Um, so, I mean, and I've realized, you know, it, just go in and be credible. Everybody's going to be judged when they're new in an organization. But I, I put that pressure on myself, good or bad. I mean, it made me put in the work, that's for sure. So whether or not that was an expectation from everyone else, I put that pressure on myself. Like I was representing all of the women that would follow me. And there is some truth to that in terms of some of the early women that went through. And, you know, we, we were being judged. People were wondering how we would perform. And, you know, it turns out we could fly just like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, there's so many areas that you have to prove yourself in, right? When you're in that position, it's not just your flight skills, but it's your ground skills. It's when you fall to the ground, you know, you, the ground fight, when you're at that point, you know, that's, that's the worst point you could be at. So can you survive? Can you survive long enough to have his back? Right. Yeah. So you're, you're just, it's like this constant proving yourself that you can do it and giving that credibility. And yes, you have me and I have you. So 
That's amazing. And I want to jump a little bit into because you're talking about your fears and your thoughts of if I fail, this is a failure for not just me, but for the women who follow me and, and how profound of a feeling and thought that must have been and is. And what I want to talk about what has happened now, because you have now been put into a Smithsonian museum. It's crazy. <laughs> it is, but you know, this is your fears yeah. then like, and what is happening now in such a historical standpoint and what, you know, what you have led the way in so many aspects for women. You know, I think, you know, I've, it's been 20 years. Um, and so I've had a lot of time to reflect on this, but I think I realized throughout my life, there were many times where I felt fear, whether it was going to the Air Force Academy and walking up the bring me men ramp, which is what it was called back then, or walking in, into my fighter squadron on day one, knowing that I was going to be the only female fighter pilot, whether I was leading a team and commanding a squadron or a group and hundreds to thousands of people um, to just being a mom when my husband deployed to Afghanistan for a year, like all of those moments, I felt fear. I felt nervous or worry about how I would perform because I wanted to do well. I wanted to set the example. And I think what I've realized looking back is that that fear, that feeling is totally normal and it is okay. It is all about what you do next. Can you be afraid and do it anyway? You know, mm -hmm. can you be brave and afraid at the same time? And I think that's really what stands out to me is that, you know, we all face fear in our lives. We're going to face challenges. We face things that make us feel stressed and worried. It is all about what we do in those moments. Um, and for me, there were many moments like that. I, you know, I did feel fear, but I was able to take that next step. And I really feel like that is what's most important. That is what matters. And you know, eventually it made an impact on the next generation of leaders, the next generation of women. And I'm totally honored and humbled to be in the Smithsonian um, with so many of, of my heroes, really, you know, people that I looked up to, people that I read about and heard about, you know, the Wright brothers, Jackie Cochran, Chuck Yeager, you name it. There are, I mean, it's just, it's very humbling to know that my things, a piece of my airplane, my flight gear, is going to be, well, it is in the Smithsonian. It's just, it's mind blowing. It is. It is. It is so cool. And I know you talked about, it hasn't really settled in yet. It's like no. very surreal, uh, but you know, you did it. And, and how cool is that? It, it's really just this loud shout out of you can do anything you know, you, and like you said, can I be brave and fearful all at the same time? Well, yeah, because anybody who does anything that's, that's worth it is experiencing that both of the feelings at the same time. So, uh, and you just do it because you feel like it's your job and you have that bigger why and, uh, reason for doing it. Yeah. I feel like life has come a, a bit like full circle in the past, um, couple months. I mean, it's been 20 years since um, I, you know, flew a life-changing combat mission over Iraq. And, you know, now to publish a book, to finish my career 
where I started. It's just, it feels like everything is, is really come together and showed me that, you know, back in those early days, all those struggles, all those hard things, the mistakes, the failures, the doubts, like it was all worth it. It all, you know, those moments as hard as they were, I think they made me a better person. They certainly made me a better pilot, but I, I just feel like when we do those hard things, like we become stronger for it. And I, you know, I didn't realize, recognize it at the moment, right? It's painful. It's frustrating. But now kind of 20 years come full circle, I can look back and I know that all those hard things made me better along the way. And they helped me overcome challenges. They helped me face uncertainty and they really helped me get to the point where I am today. Yeah. Well, We'll move into another commercial, but when we get back, let's talk a little bit about that. What was that experience that you had when the plane went down? You know, how did you react? So we'll talk a little bit about that when we get back. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Jacobs, the host of The Kim Jacobs Show, and you all know who's right here with me, Dr. Les Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? I'm blessed and highly favored. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time you want to give yourself a competitive edge. If you got a message, you have some knowledge or experience, a story, or if you want to do something adventurous and exciting with your life that can increase your credibility, expose you to millions of people, I'm encouraging you to have your own talk show. I used to have a talk show, that one talk show catapulted me to another level. Now there are more people watching the internet, as you are aware, than television. Yes. Come on, somebody. That's right. Dr. Kim Jacobs, she trained people on how to have their own talk show. She will train you how to do that. And now with me working, partnering with her, now you have the combination of an audience, expansive audience. We have over 4 million people in all of our platforms and the coaching you need to grow your business, to grow your multi-level marketing organization, to draw more attention to yourself in this noisy economy. Go ahead, Kim. So in the training that I do, Les, I actually do a six-week training. It's one hour per week. And each week I meet with the individuals one-on-one, -on -one, we go through and we talk about all of the things that's necessary for a show to become a reality. We go from how to actually identify your focus area, what's going to be your ideal customer that's going to be tuning in. We'll talk about how to get guests, how to get sponsorship, how to go about getting your lighting, your branding, and your banners, and everything that you need to know. And guess what, Les? They right. own their own content at the end of the day. And that's exciting. Now, if you're ready to, to, to create a shift in your business and in your life and increase your cash flow, I want you to go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. It's right there on the screen. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. Right. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically 
begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. That's KimJacobsConsulting.com. Did I say KimJacobsConsulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. That's my story. And that's Kim's story. And we're sticking to it. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Kim Jacobs is an incredible coach. I highly recommend her. And so I want to move into, I have a couple of comments that came through. So I'll bring a few of them in. Um, Manly said, no pressure. When's the movie deal? Um, move over Top Gun. Real life story. <laughs> so... That's fun. That's maybe exciting. what's next? Uh, you know, maybe what's next, right? And then I have another comment that came in from Diana. She said, "Thank you for your service, my young daughter. She's 18. She's in a male-dominated school presently. What advice can you give her?" Yeah, I think this goes back to a little bit of what I was talking about before. But my advice, and this is not just for young women, but men as well. If you're going into an environment, whether you're a minority or you know it's going to be challenging, then you need to work hard. You need to be credible. You need to put in the work, put in the effort. And I think also, you know, try and maintain a good attitude, but also, you know, find people around you, you know, that network, the people that will support you, the people that will have your back, the people that will be on your side. And that to me, help me get through some of those tough times to know that there were other women going through similar things. There weren't many of us, but finding that the bond with, to be able to talk about the, some things, to be able to have mm. that kind of open environment where we could really just honestly share some of our struggles and frustrations. Cause at some point there's gotta be a, a place to vent and let go and be true to who you are. And, um, I really think that for me was a huge, um, piece of this was having that support network, but be credible, work hard, maintain a good attitude is really what it comes down to. Oh, that's really, really good feedback. And yeah, I, I mean, the fact that we surround ourselves with, with people that we can relate to, um, I was just at a, a meeting yesterday with a police chief and he talked about the importance of, you know, his, his team, the officers, you know, needing people to talk to because they see so much and they deal with so much. And, you know, when, when their spouses, their partners or their friends can understand and they can you know, be able to release some of the pressures of the things that they're interacting with is so vital. And I would also maybe notate on that is, and let me ask you, Kim, what your thoughts are on this, but if you don't always have someone, you know, physically with you, would you say that leaders or friendships that you can turn to is maybe, you know, authors, people in books, you know, people who inspire you? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I look throughout my career and yes, sometimes there are people were on the same team that I was that really close with. Um, sometimes it was not even people that I knew, but, you know, now with social media, there are Facebook groups out there. 
um, you know, that, that kind of share some of those tough questions that you maybe don't need, you know, you don't know who to ask for. So I think there's a lot of ways to get help, but I do think it takes courage to go find that help. I think, mm. you know, I'm seeing more and more with this younger generation, they are more than willing to go ask and find mentors to reach out to people that they either know or don't know. Um, and I think that's fantastic because that wasn't really the environment that I grew up in. I don't feel like I don't feel like I really had a really strong mentor during my time. I had people that I trusted and that supported me, but I it really wasn't that true mentor-mentee relationship. So I think there's a lot of ways to find that, whether it's a group mm -hmm. of people that are in your organization, whether it's reaching out on social media, whether it's reading a book that somehow relates to what you're going through. I think all of those things, it just gives you a different perspective because sometimes mm -hmm. when we are that minority, we're kind of stuck in our own little environment and to be able to reach out and talk to people who maybe can give you a different idea or a different perspective or say, I've been there, I've done it and it's hard, but here's how I got through it. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, so Diana said, what a great role model you are. Thank you. She's on the right path. I can't wait to share this with her. So I wanted to give you that feedback. Also, oh, speaking it. of mentors, Hillary asked, did you have mentors? If so, how did you find them? Yeah. And like I was saying initially, I mean, I don't know that that was, there weren't many, there certainly weren't many women doing what I was doing. And so I didn't feel like I had a mentor from that perspective, but I, I realized that there were people in my life who supported me, who reached out to me. And I, it was just where I found a common connection, a common bond, something that I could relate to. And I think sometimes it's just, it's as easy or as hard as just reaching out and ask somebody, will you be my mentor? Um, for me, I had definitely people that I looked up to that I could talk about things with. But when I look back, I wish I had taken more of an active role in trying to find a true mentor. Um, I think they can be so valuable. Um, it's so important to have somebody to, to talk to, to have those conversations, to be kind of a, you know, we talk in the words champions now that can champion you in an organization. So there's, you know, there's mentors, there's coach, there's all these different people that can play a role in your lives. And I think it is a little bit about having the courage to go find them and, and ask that and ask those questions. Hmm. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing that. You're very open about that where you say you wish that, you know, I had, I seeked out more mentors during my time. And I feel like maybe in a sense, you kind of have to become your own when, when you don't have anyone. It's like, okay, I'm just going to keep pushing myself and keep, you know, trying to figure this out and, and sometimes learning the hard way. And speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about your experience, you know, that, that big life-changing experience that you had. Yeah. Um, it's hard to believe for me that it's been 20 years because I, it, so many ways it feels like yesterday because I, I remember it all so well. And mm. I, I mean, I think it's because it was such a life-changing moment for me. Um, this was back in 2003 as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And we were supporting ground troops as we always do. But as we moved closer and closer to Baghdad, um, the, it just got more intense. And this was April 7th, 2003. And we were supporting our ground troops as we always do. We would fly uh, from Kuwait 
fly all the way to Baghdad, which was about an hour for us. We would air refuel and then we would just wait for a tasking and they would just flow aircraft in based on the, the needs of our ground forces. And we got a call that troops were taking fire. They needed immediate assistance. And unfortunately, the weather wasn't great. So we weren't really sure how we were going to get in there to help them out. But we knew we had to do everything we could. And we proceeded to the target area, got over the target area and dropped down below the weather. And I just remember as soon as I got below the weather, I could see this firefight. There were bright flashes and smoke and tracers going back and forth across the river. It was really surreal for you know a couple seconds there because I feel like it was everything that we had trained for, everything that we planned for is this moment. And we decided we were going to get in really quickly, try to put some firepower down on the enemy location, um, and then kind of reassess things. Um, as we're talking about this, I'm also seeing these puffs of gray and white smoke and flashes in the air pretty close to my cockpit. And it's, you know, I realize they're they're shooting at us too. And yet we have a mission to do. We got to get in there. So we make our couple passes and pulling off target from my last pass is just when I felt and heard a loud explosion at the back of the airplane. I knew immediately I was hit. There was no doubt in my mind. The jet nosed over, pointed down at Baghdad below. And I just remember the ground getting closer. I instinctively just pulled back on the control stick and, and nothing happened. And I remember looking down at the ejection handles, just thinking like, this is the last thing I want to do is eject potentially into the hands of the enemy. And I knew I had to make every second count. Um, I set aside my fear and I just focused on taking action. Um, I analyzed the situation, kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And I realized that the hydraulics on my airplane had dumped out pretty much instantly. And at this point, it's either eject or get the airplane in a backup emergency system. And thankfully, flip the switch and the airplane started to climb up and away from Baghdad. And that was really the first moment I thought I might actually survive. Wow. Absolutely entrancing. Uh, glad I can come back to you because I'm just like in awe listening to your story. Very, very powerful. And um, I've heard I've heard about your story a little bit. And it's the same thing like you you touched on. What can you do in those moments? Like you don't want to eject. That's mm -hmm. like the last thing you want to do. It's an option, right? You have many options that you're faced with at that moment. And, and again, thank God for all of the training, right? Because that's where we fall to. We don't rise to the level of our courage. We fall to the level of our training. And so, but ejecting would have meant you're going into the, the enemy's playground, right? You're subject to them on so many levels and, and who knows what could be. You don't, you also not only do you want to give them yourself, but you don't want to give them the, the U.S. property, you know, and what can they do with that? So yeah. all of the things and all of the choices that you could have done in that moment. And there is a big reason why you earned that distinguished flying cross because of the choice that you made in that moment. Yeah. And, you know, getting out of that, you know, in that moment when everything was going wrong, I mean, I really did rely on my training, my preparation, all, everything that had really led up to that moment to be able to make a very time critical decision and, and have the courage to take action, like to overcome my fear and to be able to take action, you know, and then I still had to get out of Baghdad. I mean, I, my airplane was now flying, but I still had an hour trip back to our home base. And I still at this point didn't know if I was going to fly it back and just um, get it to friendly territory and eject or fly it back and attempt to land 
Um, it felt like a really tough decision is an understatement. You know, I felt like I could potentially make the wrong choice. And I really spent the hour flying home, thinking about it, weighing the pros and cons, thinking through the consequences, talking it through with my wingman. And I felt confident, nervous, but confident that I could land the airplane. Um, and so getting that airplane on the ground was probably the hardest thing I've ever done but also really defining moment for me, showing me that I, what I was capable of doing, um, even in the face of fear, right. That I could yeah. step up and take action and get it done. I can only imagine that, that time, that hour long, <laughs> like you're, you're flying this, this injured plane and you have this hour and it's almost like the more time, the, the worse it is, right. Because you have this time to reflect and you're still in this time zone of the what ifs, can I land this plane successfully? Like, there's a lot of things that could happen if I don't land it successfully. And, you know, what that must have felt like for you in that moment, I'm curious, when was the moment that you actually had a moment of peace where you were able to calm down to, you know, lower the heart rate a little bit? Was it during that hour long time, maybe a few times within that? Or was it when you finally hit the ground and landed safely? I think once I got out of Baghdad initially and kind of above the weather, I definitely, my heart rate slowed, you know, my breathing slowed. I finally kind of almost a sense of calm of like, okay, I'm outside of Baghdad. If I have to eject now, my chances of survival and rescue are going to be much better. I don't know that I fully was able to decompress. Well, I don't know, not even after I landed, but getting back on the ground was definitely a, a huge feeling of relief. I mean, I, it was, you know, I had survived. I, <laughs> I, I can't even, yeah, that was a huge sense of relief, but I think there was still such an adrenaline high of getting the, out of the airplane, seeing the damage, the, the number of people that were out there waiting to meet me. I don't know that I really came down from that until that later that night when it kind of all hit me of like, what did I just go through? Um, and, you know, thankfully someone had shared with me the idea of journaling while I was um, deployed. And mm. that was my way of, at the end of the day, I would write in my journal and kind of decompress and just put it all on paper and, you know, the fears, the frustrations, just put it all on the paper. And, and then it was kind of like, okay, I can close that and move to the next day. Um, so I, I don't know. It, I still compartmentalized a lot of it and didn't really deal with it at the time. I think there was just, you know, there was still war going on. I still needed to be able to fly. And so I think finally coming home, reconnecting with my husband and having kind of some of those hard conversations of like, I could have died. Like, yeah, where, what are our priorities in life? Where do we want to focus our priorities? And it just uh. in many ways of like, just having that tough conversation of realizing that, you know, you don't really know when life is going to end and are you living it intentionally in the way mm -hmm. that you want and the way that you think you should and what are your priorities? So obviously a really tough situation, but one that I, I don't know if thankful for is the right word, but I'm, I guess I'm grateful that I got the experience to be able to think through some of those things very early in my life, very early in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm, I'm kind of like 
Ooh, uh, over that story, it, it really gives me, um, not shaky, but like, I, I just feel like goosebumps sort of ish with the story. And I really appreciate that. I could, I could feel it, uh, in such a way, really, um, understanding that when you do go through those life and death experiences and the reflection on how do we want to live our life and, and really live it fully and how easy it is to go back and feel like, you know, did I do enough? And, you know, again, that's really great that you had that lesson of let's not think about the past and what are we going to do for our future and forward moving? And what an incredible gift you had too, like you said, to be journaling and working through that because that's a traumatizing experience. It would be for anyone, man, woman, age, it doesn't matter. That's a traumatizing experience, period. And, you know, knowing how to work through that and journaling is such a powerful way to be able to let that out. And again, going back to the community aspect of how you say, you know, that's really important to have. Um, I had a comment come through. Diana asked, how do you keep yourself healthy emotionally and mentally after that experience? Does it still affect you today? Um, I think at the time, um, <laughs> good or bad, um, I tucked it away to not really deal with it at the time um, because I had to be able to get back in the airplane. And so I didn't, I would say that I didn't fully deal with it until I got home. And then I recognized that I couldn't keep it tucked away for a long time. And which was, you know, again, very thankful to have a husband who was fly, was an A-10 pilot at the same time I was, and he knew exactly what I had gone through. He understood kind of the severity um, of the situation. So I think having him and being able to talk to him was, was huge. Um, you know, and I just relied on the camaraderie of my team. Like when I landed, when I, when my airplane hit the ground, I mean, we broke all radio discipline and Oh, I don't think I said anything other than to myself, but over the radio, I could hear all the guys from my squadron, just like, good job. Welcome home. You know, so, so glad you're back. Like all these things that were just coming over the radio. And so knowing again, that I had support network again, these were my brothers that they were just so happy that I was on the ground. So having that sense of camaraderie, I think really helped me deal with it. Um, and then I, I really focused on the missions and flying and, and like I said, didn't really deal with it till I got home. Um, I, I do still think about it today. I think about it. I try to, I guess I think about the positive lessons, but every time I tell the story, I can see it, I can feel it, like I can hear it. It all just kind of comes flooding back. And I will tell you, I've been listening to my book on on Audible um, recently, and I, it's not me narrating. It is a professional narrator, and she does such an excellent job that I'm listening to my story. I know the outcome, and my heart is still racing. Like I. I can feel it all over again. And so I, you know, I, it still comes up today, but I really think about it in a more positive way in terms of all the lessons that I learned and how thankful that I am that I survived. Um, but yeah, it's still very fresh in my mind for sure. Even after 20 years. Yeah. And how brave of you to be out and sharing the story, you know, through the written word and through, <laughs> through here on these platforms and, you know, in your speaking engagements and in your teaching, you know, teaching the youth. I mean, your, uh, 
your post-military career is, you know, the, the one that you have now is almost just as profound with the things that you are doing and all of the teaching and what you're giving. Well, I, you know, it's, I realize how important stories and experiences are. And, you know, when people were willing to share their stories with me, their lessons learned, their mistakes, their failures, I learned so much from them. And I will tell you that that day over Baghdad, one of the things that was on my mind was one of the stories that someone had shared with me. You know, it was um, a former A-10 pilot and, you know, he talked about getting hit with battle damage. He talked about, this is during Operation Desert Storm and kind of what they went through and how they survived. I had also read a book about warthogs and Desert Storm and the mm -hmm. stories of the pilots that they shared of flying in manual reversion, this backup system that I was in and how they did it and the things that went well and sadly the things that didn't. But I remembered those stories. Yeah. And it's just a reminder to me, I yes, it's an opportunity to share, but I also feel like I have a bit of a responsibility to share these lessons learned. I think I don't want anybody to ever have to go through what I went through. I don't think, you know, not many people are going to fly a, you know, fighter jet over Baghdad, but the lessons that came out of it in terms of followership and leadership and teamwork and empowerment, those lessons are applicable across the spectrum. Yeah. And so it's so important to share the stories. I know they had an impact on my life. And so that's my hope with the book. That's my hope with the keynote speaking is that I can make a difference and an impact for others. Absolutely. I, I love that you say that the stories are so, so impactful. It's how we relate to one another. It's how we give each other, you know, support and courage. And so I want to go through a couple of the pictures. Now, this, this photo is the one that, that you said was taken with this really cheap camera. You had to get it, you know, done at a place in Colorado Springs. And, um, but, you know, this is you when you're very young and it is such a cool photograph. It's such a great memory. I mean, I just, the smile on my face. I mean, I just, I was really passionate about what we were doing and I believed in the mission. I believed in my team. And so it's nice to have the memories. I, you know, if I have one regret is that I don't have more pictures like this, that I don't have the number of pictures that kind of capture all of those memories. Mm, I, I can relate with you, Kim. I have one photograph of me when I was in law enforcement. One. Why? Why one? I mean, even I could have had photos for graduation and for, you know, all of the things. And I, I so I, I understand you very well when, you know, why didn't we have mo more photos of, of when we were experiencing this time in our lives? So I'm so glad that you did have this one and that it's featured right on your book cover. It's it's a really cool photo. Now we're dig <laughs> going into the fun parts. Um, yeah. This is this is what we do it for. Yeah. So this is this picture is actually um, at my change of command ceremony when I was getting ready to take command of a unit. And um, for those familiar, it's a it's a very formal ceremony. It's um, you know big crowd up on the stage. This is actually on a stage. Uh, there's an A10 behind me, and uh, normally uh, your family sits in the front row. But my son, who was three years old at the time, uh, who chose what he would wear to the ceremony, uh, that is not <laughs> what I chose for him. Uh, but he <laughs> decided that he was going to come up on stage and sit with me. And I have to say, you know, this moment right here, like. It was a turning point for me because I think 
I had this view of leadership going in. This was one of my first roles, about 150 military and civilian personnel. And it was like I thought that I needed to be perfect, right? That I had the answers, that I was this tough, combat-proven fighter pilot. I was going to lead the unit. And then like, I realized by my son coming up on my lap, because I mean, I was nervous about what my team was thinking. I was like, I'm supposed to lead 150 people and I can't control my three-year-old son. You know, I was nervous, but I realized in that moment, like, this is the human side of leadership, right? I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a fighter pilot, I'm a leader, I'm all of these things. And it took my three-year-old son to teach me that. Oh, and I, and I really love this photo because you just look like such a, a proud, pleased, happy mother. And and you're right. (laughs) It's, it's the human side. And, and that is so important. I mean, how else are we supposed to, we can't just be robotic. No, that's, that's not how it is. I know. And this one moment really connected me with my team in a way that I had no idea would. I mean, after the ceremony and the next days, as I walked around and talked to people, the thing they talked about most, not my speech, but my son getting up on my lap. <laughs> yes. Uh, and this is the famous photo. This, So this picture is uh, from my final flight in the airplane, um, which thankfully there was a photographer out there to take some pictures or I probably wouldn't have these either. But um yeah, this was uh, taxing in for my final flight. And uh, uh, what you can't see is all the people waiting for me, including family and friends, um, ready to hose me down because that's what we do on your last flight in the airplane. But this was my final flight in the A-10, which was which was a little sad in some ways. Bittersweet. Yeah, bittersweet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that flag you see there was with me on every single mission that I ever flew. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. And tell me about this photo. So this is actually, um, I, I'm, there are a few pictures, right? And this one, I was like, I need to take a picture in front of my airplane because it has my name on it. Th- this was probably 10 years into my career. And this is the first picture that, picture that I actually took in front of an airplane with my name on it. I don't <laughs> know why, but this is at Mellis Air Force Base. Um, I was there as part of our test and evaluation squadron. Um, but I finally took a picture with an airplane, a little bit hard to see in this picture, but it's got my name on it. And, uh, you know, I'm again, thankful that I took the opportunity to go do this. Um, that was such a great assignment, an opportunity to upgrade the A-10 and take it to its new latest and greatest technology, but just a really, really fun assignment as well. Oh, that's very, very cool that you've been fortunate enough to to dive into so many aspects of your career. You know, I guess that's the benefit of being in something for so long, you know, where you you get to explore and experience and do so many different aspects. <laughs> and this is the family at our um, retirement ceremony. So my husband actually retired a year before I did, but it was in the middle of COVID. And um he didn't have a ceremony. So we decided that when I retired, we would do a joint ceremony. Uh, and those are my two boys. Uh, and, uh, they're wearing the child, um, medal that we gave them just as a tribute to their service. And, you know, they put up with a lot uh, with us, both being active duty, both Mm. being pilots, both being commanders. So this was a pretty proud day that, you know, at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, I'm just glad that my family is by my side. Are your boys wanting to, you know, dive into the same career field as mom and dad? 
Uh, I'm not so sure. The older one is uh, figuring it out. He's a freshman in high school, figuring out what he wants to do. My younger one wants to go to West Point and uh, join the special forces. So we'll see. Uh, As a mom, it's really hard, you know, but I I now know what I put my own parents through. And now I'm just trying to support my kids doing what they love. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? Yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I just wanted to share this real quick. We're, we're getting closer to our time, but um, a good uh, service friend of ours. I don't know if you can see that. I can see it. So um, this is called a challenge coin, and I'm sure you're very well aware of it. But This is actually from Colorado Springs, and uh, my husband carries it with him. But I was wondering if you had any sort of Anything you wanted to share about those? Yeah, well, challenge coins are kind of fun because, um, well, most units have them. As a commander, I had them. They were something special that I would give out. Um, And um, I would show you. It's probably too hard to move the camera a little bit. I don't know. Let's see. I'll see if I can. No, I don't think I can do it. I might have to go too far. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Um, it's a good thing I cleaned up a little, but those are all challenge coins that I have from throughout my career. And um, it's just a special reminder sometimes of the things that you've done, the places that you've been, the achievements that you've had. Um, But it's a great way to recognize people as well. And that was probably the thing that I loved being a commander was being able to recognize people from my team for the work that they did. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. I we know that it's um, they can be kind of a, a big deal, and sometimes if you're if you're not military, you don't know what they are. So I wanted to share that little bit in peace. I'll bring in one more comment. Hillary said, "Are your boys proud of being military kids?" I think they are. You know, I think um, it was kind of all they knew growing up, and um, I guess I I'm grateful that they had some really incredible experiences and got to do some really cool things growing up. But I'm also thankful now that I am retired and I can keep my kids in one place. They were, they were ready to be in one place and they made that very clear to us. Um, But I think they are proud of being military kids. I think they've got some pretty incredible stories to share. Yeah. And, and what, you know, the resilience that, you know, you're able to create as a family. And because your husband and you have been through so many challenging experiences, the life lessons that you get to pass on to the boys, I think that there's a lot being said for that. And so, um, you know, speaking of transitions, I, I just want to highlight just for a moment, one of our sponsors, um, and this is Hillary Hills Empowering Transitions Life Coaching. And for she she really specializes with people that are in military and transitioning out of it. So the veterans who are looking for their what's next. So you can contact Hillary at Hillary at EmpoweringTransitionsLC.com. Again, that's Hillary at EmpoweringTransitionsLC.com. So I just wanted to highlight that while we're on the topic. And I want to thank you, Kim, so much from the bottom of my heart. 
for being on the Wellness Driven Life Show and to make sure that our audience knows how to contact you. Your website is www.kim-kc-campbell.com. And oh my gosh, if you have time, can you please tell us what KC stands for? Well, I know everyone thinks it's my initials, but we don't choose our own call sign. We get uh -uh. assigned a call sign and my call sign is Killer Chick which is what KC actually stands for. <laughs> and how did you earn that title? Uh, you know, it's given to you. So you they um, usually it happens on a Friday night. It's a completion showing that you're completed and ready to go to combat. Uh, and uh, they tell stories about you. You're not in the room when they tell the stories. You walk back in the room. Uh -huh. And they. Uh, I remember walking back into cheers of like, they were super excited and they told me that my call sign was now Killer Chick. <laughs> That's awesome. We ha I had to I had to point that out, you know. So www.kim-kc-killerchick-campbell. That's c a m p b e l l dot com, and that's also going to be in the description. If you are watching the replay, which many of you will be, um, you can always find the information of our guests and information about the show. And speaking of the Wellness Driven Life Show, thank you so much. It wouldn't be possible without your generous contributions. You can donate in many ways, Cash App, PayPal, when you donate on the website at www.thewellnessdrivenlifeshow.com, you will be left with a follow-up email that you can keep for your records. So thank you again, Kim. It's been, again, an honor and a pleasure. Uh, you know, you're welcome back on the show anytime, you know, Thank come you. back in three months. I know there's going to be a lot more stories to, stories to share because with the launch of your book, you know, there's going to be a lot of things happening for you, a lot more stages, a lot more teaching and, you know, engaging. And, you know, the fact that you're now in the Smithsonian, you know, so there's so much more for you and it's just a beautiful thing. Thank you for shining your light and for sharing it with the world. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. My pleasure. And we will see you next time. Goodbye for now.